What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your show reviews, content reviews, photos, and so much more. And with me, as always, is Mr. Daniel Terry. How are you doing? Doing pretty good, man. Uh, here you got locked on a tour bus. <laughs> uh, yeah, this episode's guest is Spencer from Periphery. And uh, fun fact, when we got done doing this interview, I was packing up my, my gear and the band decided to go on a Pokemon Go expedition and uh, left me on the bus all alone. And it was one of those things where... Uh, so kind of backing up just a little bit, before my interview, I had uh, been in contact with a tour manager and the tour manager told me to hit up Jake, who is the other guitar player in the band. And I thought that was weird until I found out that basically Killswitch Engage was just starting their tour with Parkway Drive. And that their uh, peripheries tour manager is like front of house for uh, for Killswitch Engage. And so basically he left early that morning to go join up with that tour over on the West Coast. And so Jake was handling the tour managing duties for the last couple of days of the tour was one of those things that as we were getting to the bus, he was kind of explaining like, oh, you know, things kind of been, you know, all over the place the last uh, like 24 hours or so. And made comment to somebody like, oh, yeah, you know, you got to do blah, blah, blah to lock the bus or make sure the bus is locked or something to that effect. So when they all decided to go on their Pokemon Go adventure, I wasn't done packing up and they just left and they were like, we'll be back in a couple minutes. And I was like, should I leave? Like, uh, I guess I'm stuck on this bus. And I sent Dan a, 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 literally a video, and maybe I'll post it. On, maybe I'll post it on a, on on the Instagram page, um, and our socials in, as a whole. Uh, but I literally was just like, "All right, I'm on this bus. It's just me." <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. I was like, "Well, uh, you really don't want to be the last guy off that bus, and you know, accidentally left the door open, and then a bunch of their stuff's missing. So, you made the right choice to hang for a minute." Actually, it's funny. Uh, since then, a handful of my friends who constantly tour uh, did give me a pro tip uh, on how to lock pretty much 99% of buses uh, after upon my exit. Uh, apparently, there's a universal thing that will lock the bus doors. So if I ever get put in that position and I just want to leave, uh, I will try that out and see if I can actually lock the bus door. Um, but it was, uh, you know, this interview... I, I, I got to be honest. I was really nervous for, I mean, I, I did my due diligence. I took a really deep dive. Uh, I went and hung out with a friend of mine for about f three hours. Um, just going over everything periphery, something I forgot to mention actually in the interview, which I should have. And I, I feel like an asshole for not bringing it up is the fact that, uh, Dan, you're familiar with the band still remains, correct? Absolutely. Okay, so Jordan and Bone, the the second drummer that was on uh, the, the serpent. serpent, yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, Jordan and Bone started this new band called Anthem Alone, and okay. around this time, it was like when uh, Stormains had just kind of ended everything. Like they, you know, they weren't a touring band, or they weren't a band anymore, and they were looking for a vocalist. And who did they finally get to to be their vocalist? It was Spencer before he joined periphery this would have been the time of like you know periphery kind of being more of an instrumental band and was kind of doing things on their own as, a, as an unsigned band and you know we were all stoked for jordan and bone to have this you know phenomenal singer and then all of a sudden he's like hey guys i'm gonna go do this periphery thing 
And I, I really regret not bringing that up with Spencer. So maybe potentially if he hears this, uh, maybe we can do a quick little chat and be like, yo, so what the, f you know, I mean, obviously uh, I think he made the way better choice uh, to do, to do periphery than uh, to do Anthem alone, which is a project that never got off the ground. But um, it's just interesting to see, you know, thinking back over 10 years ago and knowing that Spencer was almost in this band with uh, some members and still remains. And, uh, but no, like, I mean, like I kind of made the comment in the interview, Periphery is one of those bands that when they do something, the whole fucking heavy music world just takes notice. I mean, it's it, honestly, I mean, correct. Name another band, Dan, if you can. Gojira, Mashuga, Periphery. Those three bands do something. The whole fucking world pay, like, pays attention to what they do. And that becomes the new benchmark for what heavy music can be. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I can't think of too many other bands that have that type of impact. I mean, like you said, Gojira, you know, um, maybe Mashuga, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of racking my brain. I was like maybe between the buried and me, you know, something, something along those lines, but even then they've kind of dropped off in that, but yeah, Periphery's always got something fresh for you. And that's, that's one of my favorite things about them is that they, um, well, it's funny because they're a band that I used to I used to cleverly refer to as quote up their own ass, um, but it was still a good like like I I love music like that I like I like more proggy music so I I loved this band even whenever they didn't really have vocals you know <laughs> so um, I'm I'm actually. This is another one of those, like, Dan's really sad that he didn't make the interview and didn't get locked on the tour bus. Um, <laughs> but, no, they, they absolutely are are innovative. And I, I honestly think that they're underrated because I don't think that they – I don't think that they have the pull power of, like, a Meshuggah. But they should. They absolutely should. I guess that's where you and I differ. Like, I mean, maybe that's the difference in demographics of where we live. Like, I have I, said numerous times, Grand Rapids – uh, I would say Michigan as a whole, really. I feel like it's such a musician's town, and Michigan is such a musician's state. Um, like, one of my, my favorite, least favorite memory concert experiences that I've ever been to was seeing Dillinger Escape Plan after they had just released... Uh, it was, like, 2015 is when I saw them, or 2014. So maybe it was maybe it was Option, option Paralysis. But basically, like, I had seen them before, like, their last record as... In, in, before they had released their last record. And the the venue we saw them at was, you know, decently packed, but, like, nothing, like, crazy. But, I mean, it's like you see all these videos of Dillinger and, like, all their fans everywhere else just going absolutely apeshit and it just being this frenetic, chaotic experience. And instead, the experience I got seeing them was a lot of arms being crossed and a lot of musicians staring and looking at what everyone was doing on stage. And... I mean, I guess it's cool to be able to talk about, like, oh, it's really cool that, you know, they're able to play this, like, you know, D minor chord over this panic dissonant chord, blah, 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 blah. And the fact that, you know, they're able to go all this, to go ape shit and still be able to tap all their, their effects and so forth. But, I mean, there's something that's also equally as cool about just being in a room full of people who are just letting go completely. And so for me, Periphery has been one of those bands that, here in this town at least, everyone loves that band and just looks at that band as in such high regard of what they do from a music musicality standpoint that it, it maybe that lends to why I feel I felt 
so much pressure in talking, especially to Spencer, because Spencer doesn't necessarily do a lot of press. So it's like I just feel this enormous sense of like I need to come with questions that the the huge Uber fans, whenever they come across this, if they do come across this, they're going to be like, yeah, those were good questions. Oh, I can tell he knows the history of this band, not like – one fuck didn't you ask like this question about you know song 17 on p2 or you know something like that it's like it's really it's really tough <laughs> well john i think people would think that you know you knew a lot about the band because as far as i understand uh you did my job uh the week leading up to it and you listened to the band's whole discography and and it's like analyzed and Every... and all the other bands associated with the bands. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of split off. They're they're like um mitochondria. They they self replicate. <laughs> yes, it's true. <laughs> Time will tell how, how periphery fans feel about this. I you know, and they're probably already fast forwarding just to get to the beaten potatoes of, of the episode. Um but just know, um I really put in a lot of time and effort uh into doing as much research as I could and very much like I did with like some of the stuff we've dug- done in the Juggalo realm, I consulted a friend who is so far into this that we went so far into questions. And I asked questions and wrote them down and was like, you know, is this a good question? And, you know, look in all the research I did, I didn't see some of these questions be asked. I guess at the end of the day, I just need to take solace in the fact that Mark and Spencer both were like, you know, I can tell you did your research. These were good questions. This was a good interview. But you know what? That's 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 never good enough for me. <laughs> he wants the world. He wants the whole world. And speaking of wanting it all, let's get to that interview. Sounds good. And we'll talk to you all afterwards. <laughs> Pleasure of uh, talking to Spencer of Periphery, outside of uh, was it Royal Oak Music Theater? I think I think so. Yeah, that's it. I was first gonna time, say first this isn't my this uh, home turf, so I have to be like, what the fuck venue is this? I gotta be like you, looking at a we're on the same page, laminate. Right uh, but your guys' latest record, Hail Stand, just came out uh, a week ago, debuting number nine on the Billboard charts. How does it feel? Your first uh, officially big release like this, uh, going so big out out the gate? That it's. We're still kind of shocked, you know, like we just got that information yesterday and obviously we were posting it everywhere, you know, like just flexing everywhere online. Not not because we're like trying to brag or anything. We're just like, man, taking this independent, having our own label and it's doing this successful. You like our brand is growing and everything. It's not like it got stunted by not having a label or anything behind it. And we're all just really still kind of trying to process it. So it's it's really, really awesome, though, obviously. <laughs> What I kind of wondered, because obviously some of the songs started to leak, so you guys put out the record yourselves on YouTube, which uh, there's a couple of things about that that I thought were interesting, but I'll, I'll focus on the first thing, which is, was it nice not having to go through, and maybe you did, having to go through a chain of command to be able just to do that because it is your release? We do. I mean, but at the end of the day, we're the ones, you know, calling the shots. Like, we could have somebody advising us being like, well, hey, you know, wait till Monday, you know, or this or that. 
but if we're like you know as, as a band unanimously hey like this shit's gonna be out there let's put it out and we already had the tracks uploaded to YouTube like as a preemptive thing we're like okay if we're selling these physical copies today tomorrow they're gonna hit online like somebody that buys it is going to leak it right. so we just had them on deck at, as private links and you know as soon as we started seeing leaks we just told our manager we're like you know tell the person you need to tell to make those links live and then it just that was it what I thought was interesting, and I'm not trying to get into the band's financials about it, but what I thought was interesting is the fact that putting it out that way still sort of is allowing you to monetize yeah. the views and capture the views and so forth and, and get those on your channel and, and like I said, monetize that. And I wondered if potentially that was another avenue or thought process of if this if this does happen, we can do this and at least capture everything for ourselves before like some other random Joe Blow gets their stuff and makes money off of your work. Yeah, and they wouldn't make money off it because obviously, obviously that's illegal. Like if they were, you know, monetizing the videos and on a leak or something like that, that's gonna get taken down immediately. It'll get flagged and taken down. They're not. It, it probably wouldn't even be up for an hour before that happened. Um, but that definitely, you know, that was in the thought process. It was like, well, if this is gonna leak and views are gonna go somewhere, we may as well. You know, try and drive that to our channel for you know publicity for us, and also like some of the streaming money as well. Even though you know, <laughs> YouTube royalties, it's it's like ne negligible for a band. You know, it's it's not that much money, but right. better than nothing. You know, better than you know those views going somewhere else. Absolutely. Did you read any of the comments when you guys put it out? Yeah, yeah. I'm not the kind of person that like obsesses over comments or like anytime we put something out, like goes and like reads every comment. But I was just. You know, I was curious uh, this time around to see because it's such a different record. It's kind of like a departure from what we've done in the past, and I was just curious to see how our fans would react would react to it. And I've been really, really pleasantly surprised at how positive it's been so far, at least. Yeah. So speaking to to fans and, and the the record itself, uh, like I kind of preemptively said before we started, I'm gonna get a little weird with this. Uh -huh. um, what I like to do is kind of take a deeper dive, uh, knowing that this is the interview I'm doing. I had nothing, so I had about a week or so to prepare for this. And either I went way too far down a rabbit hole that doesn't exist, or I'm catching things that I don't see other people making the correlations to necessarily, at least not very publicly. Um, so with that being said, you guys are one of the few bands that I've noticed where all of your offshoot bands, uh, whether they be solo projects, whatever, basically ends up coming back some way, shape, or form into the main periphery records. Uh, starting with the Bulb demos. I'm sure you've at least had to have heard about that in some interviews or whatever. Oh, yeah, I mean, Bulb basically is periphery. It's like, you know, all these songs that Misha has from back in the day, back when it was just him, you know, and right. not, not a whole band. And those are basically, like, kind of, like, in the reserve tank for us. If anything that we want to use from any of his stu old stuff gets put into periphery. So you can kind of think of it as... Like a hand right. type thing. So something that I kind of had wondered uh, multifacetedly was, you know, are you, are you sprinkle, do you try maybe intermittently to sprinkle them into every record as kind of like an Easter egg for longtime fans that have been around? I don't think it's ever a deliberate thing like that. And, and also, you know, like as weird as it sounds, we're never thinking like, oh, the fans or you know this group of people is going to like this so let's do that it's always kind of like what's going to serve the record the record best for us and, and, and what's going to make it a good record for us you know we're like first and foremost i was surprised to see sentient glow on this new record given the fact that it existed in a different incarnation on the haunted shores record there's EP. there have been yeah like three different incarnations of it now like an instrumental one yeah. chris barreto and then now with me 
it made me wonder i would assume being as tiny as you guys all seem to be musically that they probably you probably would have heard that song with chris on the vocals and so forth did that inspire any i didn't notice any obvious melodies or any like kind of vocal ideas that match from from one to the other but it, I always think it's interesting, and you don't see it a whole lot like that, where there's someone else completely doing the song as it exists, and then another vocalist getting to go over and completely redo it in their way. And, and that's tough, man. That That's really hard when you hear something a certain way and you're used to hearing it that way to completely just you know, wipe that out of your mind and try and do something you know, completely different. But the unique thing about that situation was that um, me and Mark over here were, you know, we were friends and, and we talked online before I was in Periphery, before he was in Periphery. And uh, I actually ended up doing a version of Sentient Glow before Chris's version came out that, you know, the world hadn't heard yet. Um, and this is, this is like 2009, 2008, 2009, around there somewhere. And uh, that's, that version is what got used for this. So that song with my vocals on it has been around since like the 2009 era, which is what? where we just re-recorded it. Obviously, I was going to say, did anything change drastically from from that demo to now? No, not really. Just kind of like the character and like the quality of the recording and and all that. But the parts pretty much stayed the same. Interesting. It's it's just like I said, one of those things where you don't see many songs exist uh, musically almost identically between having two vocalists on them, but having such a just stark difference between what each of the vocalists does, which I think is kind of the interesting thing about music when you're given just a blank slate to, to create, and I think kind of speaks to the uniqueness of both you and Chris. Kind of speaking to uh, some of the other carryovers I've noticed, um, it seems that every other record, lyrically, uh, kind of flirts with uh, this kind of dark and light on e either one. Um, so it seems like, you know, with P1, there's like Icarus Lives, um, Juggernaut, kind of the references to like Satanic rituals and imagery and so forth. And it kind of even lyrically carried over onto what you were doing with uh, Ender. Yeah, the, so the Ender record is, it's a concept record, but not in the way that it tells a story. Um, and I deliberately put the record out around Halloween, the year it came out, because it was like, every single song has something to do with something like supernatural and otherworldly type experience um but yeah the songs don't necessarily tie in lyrically to each other you know there's like some motifs that weave in and out of songs and stuff like that right is it a i guess what i was going more for is it a conscious thing where every other record kind of plays on these light and dark themes no not necessarily i think everything that were aside from Juggernaut, Juggernaut was a very deliberate kind of like we went in knowing exactly what it was going to be, and all the other records we've done and the stuff I've done on the side, uh, you know, out of periphery, has always just kind of been like a track by track thing and just vibing in the moment, not really having like a broad overview before I go into it. Something and didn't have a way to write this, so forgive the uh, meandering of trying to find the question uh, okay. exactly, but. You know, listening to the Nick Mystery stuff, and like I said, kind of listening to what everyone else does, it, it seems like there is instances, whether it be, you know, portions of songs put back into periphery in the, in the main band. Nick Mystery stuff, I, I don't necessarily really hear those kinds of songs uh, represented in, in much of the periphery stuff at all. So it kind of made me wonder, is there going to maybe be more of that kind of I don't, and I was trying to put my finger on it today as I was listening to it on the way up. I was like, kind of reminds me of like '80s like synth pop, but like it also kind of has, you know, like it, it feels honestly, it kind of feels like you could put it over a lot of the '80s 
classic movies. Like it kind of it kind of fits. You know, it sounds more like a soundtrack. Like you could put like the guitar tone over it, kind of reminding me of like wacky '80s like you know rom coms and so forth. That's but then exactly also has, what we were going for. You know, like weird sciencey type stuff. Like you could sure. expect it across a multi genre uh, movies. And so it just kind of made me wonder if there will ever be any Nick Mystery style stuff in Periphery eventually. I mean, maybe. We don't really set any rules for ourselves. You know, if, if, if all of us write a song and we like it and it doesn't sound anything like Periphery, we're still going to make it a Periphery song because we like it. You know, that's, that's like the rule at the end of the day for us. Um, so, I mean, we don't have anything really planned like that, but maybe down the road if it feels right. Something when prepping for this. I have constantly made uh, references to a couple of friends that knew I was doing this that I feel this weird weight of doing this interview because of what the band means to all of your fans, means to the the music scene kind of for heavy music. Um, I would put you, for me, I would put you guys alongside like the Meshuggas and the Gojiras that when you do something, it's not like people are just like, oh, there's that new record. It's it's kind of a, a... movement of time uh, in, like this a stamp where it's like now the benchmark has been set this is what everyone aspires to do in the music this scene heavily in the music uh, realm and as such it probably doesn't feel that way for you but it does make me wonder if maybe collectively you guys realize that there is this sense of like we have to keep outdoing ourselves at all yeah and I think that's more so just for ourselves and not for like the way people look at us or like, Hey, we can't let people down. It's like, we don't want to put out something that's not as good as the last thing we put out. Cause like, you know, you want to push yourself as a musician. You want to push yourself as a writer. And I know for me, like I'm constantly trying to one up myself for myself and, and write the best things that we can write. You know, what is something, you know, with, with Ender kind of being its thing and Nick mystery kind of being what it is. And obviously you're what you do in periphery. Is there something you haven't touched yet that you are looking forward to experimenting with musically? Uh, mm, I don't know. That's a tough question. I know I, you know, I've been talking to Misha lately and in, in, uh, about P4 and how it turned out and how dark it was and how heavy it was, and I had a lot of fun doing that. And I, th- I can't speak for everyone else in the band, but I think you know they're they're all kind of on the same page. I told Misha I want to go darker for the next one, and maybe maybe not you know heavier per se but like all the melodic aspects I want to go darker and weirder because I had a lot of fun doing that this time around something I noticed in watching that documentary and watching a few of the other ones that you guys have put out is the fact that you're really hands on with where melodies go like maybe a guitar melody or just melodies in general you'll find the one that you like pull it out try to do something vocally in that spot and it kind of makes me wonder does having that freedom does it ever get overwhelming? Um, no, not necessarily, because we, you know, we never have like a, a real deadline or anymore at least. So it's like, I don't, I don't know. You, there's so you can try so many different things, and then you have time to sit on it, and there's no pressure at all, you know. And this time around, Misha wrote some of the vocals with me. You know, we we would just get together, hanging out, no pressure, and just be humming and scatting, scream scream patterns into a microphone and we would do this for hours and then be like oh you know okay well let's take a break for a day and then go back and try and interpret it into a real singing and real screaming and see what sticks obviously the the record itself hail stand i thought was very fun and tongue-in-cheek mm-hmm. obviously a, a play off of hail satan um but then it kind of made me wonder and unfortunately i did i don't remember who it was with someone did say 
to me it represents this, but it could represent a million other things to all of you. Absolutely. Like, I, I think I, that may have been me that said that. Okay. And it was like, the way I look at it is we took a year and a half off from touring and put all this time and effort into writing this record. It's like, I'm, I've never been so stoked with something musically that I've ever done in my life. And then it's like a reminder for me that you should just never take yourself too seriously. It's like you could spend all this time, like a year and a half of your life, like that's a good chunk of your life, and be proud of something and then just go, okay, I don't give a fuck. Hail Stan, <laughs> dude. Like, it, no well, significant meaning whatsoever. <laughs> it was just kind of weird because it's like, like I said, with the significance, it seems that a lot of others place on your band. It kind of made me wonder if it's like a song and she's like all right well like kind of making fun of the people who stand you guys and it's really the only thing that our band could agree upon i think there were probably a couple hundred different titles we went through that nobody could really not everybody was on the same page you know i'm i'm totally gonna blank on this and i meant to write it down but i did see at one point in the documentary it was blurred out a couple of times but i noticed uh at one point when they were tracking guitars in it that it looked like on the dry erase board it was p4 and then the title which was blurred out and then eventually it was just p4 uh the smile whatever the actual song ended up being oh yeah it's so, only smiles yeah so i think it was at one point on the whiteboard eat butts beat guts if i'm not mistaken so that, that was that, a, that was a personal favorite yeah, yeah, like, I right? so i was gonna say that was at one point the working <laughs> title sort of i mean we would have never slapped that i mean that's just that's that's just vulgar and just well no 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 not not <laughs> that the, the the one that ended up becoming a song title itself Oh yeah, I think at one point we were we were talking about making that album title, right? It's only smiles. There was yeah. also talking shit on something. Talking shit. Uh, I don't remember. I just it was interesting, like in the, I mean, growing like you know being in my mid thirties myself, it's like I remember you know watching a lot of like the Pantera home videos and so forth, and them having to blur a lot of shit out, and it becomes one of those things where you get really excited to try to figure out what the the blurred out thing is. Yeah. And figure that out. <laughs> And so when I noticed that, I was like, oh, they keep blurring out that board. Like, I don't know why. Just don't want our parents to see that. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> you don't want everything flying out there on the internet. It was, I don't know, I just thought it was amusing. So I was wondering how close it was to being that being the song title, since it seemed to be one of the few that you could actually read. But I'm not exaggerating when I say, like, 100 to 200 different titles got tossed around for this record. Well, I mean. Before we stuck with something. What are some that didn't get used that you were you were especially proud of? Or are you going to potentially use them so you don't want to say them? Um, Mark, do you remember some that were, like, really good, like, forerunners for this? Man, Periphery um, 4, Shrek 2. Yeah. <laughs> the Land P4 time. The Land P4 time. That was a good one. Um, oh, oh, my favorite. I was really gunning for this was Periphery 4, Skin. Oh. Like, oh, yeah, I get it. Skin. Oh, yeah, I get it. And then having, like, a peach covered front and just like skin color like looking all serious it's foreskin <laughs> so good with i mean i guess that's kind of the interesting thing in the in the day and age now where you guys are you're basically your own bosses more or less on the label is it a thing where is it hard to rein yourselves in where you could just be like we could put a fucking put out a record call you know foreskin and who's gonna stop us you know <laughs> we, we could but we love our manager and we don't want him to hate us more than he already does so you know we, we play ball with him a little bit <laughs> it, it was it was already like pulling teeth to get him to to go along with the hail stand title so i did love the uh, little uh baphomet in the in the circles it's I don't... just it just adds even more just like tongue-in-cheekness to yeah. it you know are you working on any more Nick Mystery stuff? I mean, yeah, I'm working on a full length with with Mike and Yuka right now. Um, we're pretty far into it, to be honest, and we're recording it all ourselves. And um, you know, we'll figure out everything once once all the songs are done being recorded, and figure out when it's going to come out, how it's going to come out. But definitely a good chunk of material being worked on right now. 
is, it would seem collectively any of you could be a part of this, but is movie scoring something you would be interested in doing? I don't know much about it. I think if any of us were to do it, it would probably be Misha since he's, you know, he's a, a wizard when it comes to programming orchestral sections and, and making things feel like you could close your eyes when you listen to some of his orchestral pieces and it feels like a movie trailer, you know, like you, you're seeing a movie trailer. So for me, I, I really don't know. I, I would love to, you know, take a crack at it at some point, but uh, I really don't know anything about it. It was interesting. I just saw this movie. It's called I'm Just Fucking With You. And Chino apparently did the score for it, really? which is just That's weird. awesome. I know Mike Patton does a lot of movie yeah. scoring as well. Like he did uh, Place Be- was it Place Beyond the Pines. He did that. And then uh, Trent Reznor, he, he scores some stuff to him and Atticus Ross. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he does a lot of not Lynch, but Finch's film, Fincher. Um, but it's just like one of those things where I feel like, like I said, kind of with as diverse as you are, like with, especially with Nick Mystery, like someone tapping in and being like, guys, want to fucking score the soundtrack? I mean, whatever? that would be really cool to try. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Down the road. Seems like you guys are busy enough as it is. Um, kind of in, in just, you know, I have no more questions prepared, so we'll just kind of off the cuff this. But um, it's interesting how very tongue-in-cheek the band has always been and very internet uh, friendly, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. In the day and age where a lot of people have a pedestal now to voice their opinions and so forth, is it hard sometimes with as much art and as much things as you guys create individually and as a collective, is it hard when people don't give it the fair shake? Maybe like a Nick Mystery thing where it's like, well, this isn't periphery, so I don't like it. It's, it's fine, man. Like, at the end of the day, we're all making music for ourselves, like I said, and, uh, you can like it or you can not like it. It doesn't change the fact that we're still having fun making it and, and enjoying doing it, you know? And, and if people like it, that's just the icing on the cake for us, to be honest. And that's the, always the way we've looked at it. And with that way, you know, you can't be too disappointed. You know, if, if you put something out and you're happy with it, I mean, you really can't ask for that much more. This is another one I was, I was trying to work my way through. With Bulb kind of being the, the epicenter of the, the, or the starting point, I should say, of everything to where it now has become what periphery is um it always kind of seems like and maybe this is me again reading too much into it it seems like everything has kind of been plotted like there's kind of a, a grand idea of where the band wants to go themes that want to be expressed and so forth and some of the de- the music comes from so far ago is there stuff that you guys have been writing all along the way that are basically the new bulb demos that just haven't been used or do you, <sighs> is what's out there kind of what is out there yeah yeah it, there's there's never really a plan you know, we could go into this next record and and use five tracks from you know 2005, maybe you know, um, or we could go in and just write something completely new for the whole record. It's it's there's never a plan. It's just always kind of like let's get together at the beginning of these sessions and figure out you know which demos that we want to work with, and we'll have like a list of like 30 or 40, and we'll listen through them. Everybody will listen through, and then you know pick their their top favorites out of them, and you know sometimes only a couple like a couple of demos would make it on a record and then other times it could be a bunch you know totally random shit have you seen us yes okay so most people i've asked have not seen it so i don't really get to talk with it so potential spoiler alerts now <laughs> what did you think of it and how many times have you seen it at this i saw it once and we all saw it as a band uh, i think it was our it was probably the first day off on this tour we had right yeah, we went late at night after dinner and, and watched it as a band. And it was it was awesome. Uh, I, I 
I really thought, I don't know, Jordan Peele has a way of bringing you into, you know, capturing you, bringing you into the thriller, and making you feel like you're there. Like, I feel like that's a very hard thing to do nowadays because everything in the thriller and horror genre has just been done over and over and everything's so predictable. And he comes in with these plots that just completely smack your head, you know, like twist your head around. <laughs> now, I saw it very similarly to you where I had a couple of friends with me. Did you guys have the same experience where you all noticed completely different things from each other? I don't know. We, we didn't really talk about it too much in depth really? after we were just like, wow, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> Man, I, we sat in the lobby for probably a good 45 minutes just being like, did you notice, like, the Black Flag t-shirt, like, the one person had theirs? Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there, like, there were a couple Black Flag. To... There was, like, a, a poster and then a shirt and, yeah, uh, some other shirt, things. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, like, little things that we all didn't notice that the other ones did. And then it's like, oh, fuck, I didn't notice that. I also love that Tim Heidecker was in it. Yeah, and, you know, what was interesting is someone had made the comment, and, and uh, a friend of mine sent me a link, a Reddit link, after they saw it, because I was like, yeah, i got to keep talking about this to someone, because I keep thinking of things, and then it makes me think of what it means in a bigger scale to the movie. And something I kept, I didn't notice, but when someone explained this in the Reddit thread, I was like, holy shit, it was your lower version, basically, is, be like, how you are. So, like, Tim was always, like, the drunk asshole, so when he the the lower version or the underneath version or whatever took over he was the drunk asshole even more so oh like, yeah. Level. yeah yeah like, that's uh, interesting but then i had kind of wondered too because like his wife i was like well i kind of figured it was it's the person that is subdued in all of us that we don't want to let out that's what i thought it was because his wife you know had all like the nose job she was talking about the nose job in the beginning and even the the underground one was like, was like putting, on, ma putting yeah. on makeup for the first time and yeah. like, that's what she was and so it kind of made me like on. that was what I kept coming to is I was like I feel like it's it's those people not necessarily living the life we did without having all the things that we have but it's who we are inside that's interesting and all of our yeah. insecurities actually coming out yeah that's that's interesting interesting <laughs> way of looking at it that's cool yeah I don't know <laughs> it, like I said I've been take deep dives on stuff and then I just kind of like sit there and get super, lost in, inside cool. of itself super cool movie though and I can't wait for him to put out put out more stuff well he's got the I know he's producing it I guess but the Twilight Zone stuff oh yeah yeah I heard about that how long do you think uh, South Park can go oh dude is they just get better they get better with age and I hope I hope it just keeps going. I hope I hope by the time I die, there are still South Park episodes being made. It's weird to me that we live in a society like because I remember between like between South Park, between uh, Family Guy, and a lot of these shows, Futurama, not Futurama, but uh, American Dad and a few of those others, like they had to be on at 10 p.m. or later because they didn't want kids seeing them. Now, like almost all of them air, you know, right after school's done. Yeah, it's also like I think it doesn't really matter much anymore because everybody's just using streaming services like, you know, Netflix, Hulu to watch. Like I don't even have cable at my cable or satellite or any of that at my house anymore. There's just no need to. This will be like my last question kind of been winding down. Something I've been thinking about the last couple of days. Um, I keep seeing sensationalized headline videos to get people to click on them. <laughs> and it'll say like, like the new one I saw yesterday that kind of caught my attention was uh, girl performs post Malone cover on violin from that Spider-Man movie or whatever. So I click on it, and she's busking. People are paying her money. There's a huge crowd. But I'm looking at the instrumentation, and I'm like, that doesn't seem very complicated. Like, it sounds like the same three or four notes. Yeah. Um, and it's not even like an ACDC thing where it's about groove and being in a pocket and, and what you're not playing that's kind of the, the thing that you should be latching on to. 
But as I was watching it, I was like, I don't feel like this is amazing. Are we kind of devaluing our vocabulary and things that aren't amazing are becoming amazing because adversely um, is it becoming a thing where people aren't willing to put forth all of the time and effort to, to become masterful at something because yeah. they want to show off and maybe have that viral moment. I think that's definitely a thing that, that the internet's created and, and social media more so um, than just the internet think with somebody being able to go and post what they're doing at any time of the day whenever they want for free it's like yeah somebody can get really mediocre at something and then go and you know try and get some likes for it online instead of you know back I remember when I was a kid sitting in my room for fucking 10 hours straight trying to learn a song and get it down perfect playing it on guitar just like every little thing about it like nailing it before I would even want to show like my friends or anything you know it's it's kind of kind of a weird thing last question something we're, we've become sticklers on here on the podcast but I think is an interesting topic piece you guys just put out a full length you guys have put out a double record you guys have put out EPs collectively and so forth where do you feel the music industry is leaning is it is it more single and EP based or do you think fans still value the full like having a full record I think it's circumstantial. I think for certain genres, uh, the EP and, and even just singles, like if you put out a single before a tour, you get huge press and publicity off of it uh, in like the pop world and in the rap world, all that. Um, but I think in like genres like ours, like in the progressive world, like fans like to have substance and they really like to have that record and sit down with it and, and learn it inside and out and listen to it from start to finish and have that content, you know? Um, so I, I really think it just it depends on you know like yeah the genre really. That was all my questions for you. Where can everyone find you and or the band any of the bands online? Um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and we're out on the road for another four days or three days I think. And come catch us, come catch us while we're out here. Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Spencer, for taking the time. Yeah, no worries. So that was my conversation with Spencer from Periphery. Um, I do want to apologize a little bit about the background noise. Uh, unfortunately, when you are on a bus, you know, I used to think that was bullshit. And, you know, people would be like, oh, if you hear the bus noise, I'm really sorry. Uh, no, it's a real thing. Uh, I guess I just never really noticed it as much. <laughs> I didn't notice a whole lot of noise. But, yeah, bus noise is actually pretty bad. Um, it's like basically you're in a house. You know how your house makes funny noises? Take your house and put it on the highway. You know what's funny is – uh. A lot of times, like when I drive now, like when my wife will be like, oh, let's go to this thing, and I'm in the passenger seat, like I can fall asleep so quickly on the road that I feel like if I had a bunk and I could be on a bus that was traveling somewhere, I'd probably fall asleep so well. <laughs> yeah, probably. I I enjoyed that interview quite a bit because you were like really – like it almost sounded like you were more familiar with the back catalog than Spencer – which which might have been true. I mean, like I'm not saying that to like trash talk or anything, but like it definitely had that vibe of like you had just super nerded out a hundred thousand percent, and he was just like, yeah, we we make records with songs on them. Well, so what was funny is like, and and you guys uh, can actually go to YouTube and and literally see the interview that I did with Spencer. Um, 
as you'll see, Mark is in the background the whole time, just, you know, sitting on his phone bullshitting and intermittently will kind of like look up or, you know, give his two cents uh, to what's going on. And in the interview itself, I tried to push up the microphone as much as I could so you can hear Mark in the background and Misha as well, like when he pops up. Um, but if you go to the YouTube video, you will see like just everything that I was literally seeing as I'm talking to uh, Spencer. Um, but it, it's one of those things where... Sometimes, you know, like I like I kind of was saying in the intro, this band means so much to so many people that I wanted to give it the respect that it deserved. But the flip side of it is, is I feel like maybe I overprepared. Yeah, you may have. But but I mean, now I know who to call whenever we get to periphery on the other show. I uh, I will sort of apologize. Like, you know, I had 30 minutes uh, with Spencer and I got, I think, about 20, 22 minutes in. And then I was just like, we literally answered everything that I had written down. I thought it would take a little bit longer uh, to get to all these questions. Uh, so I'm going to off the cuff this. So I don't know if my questions about us or the fact of like devaluing words or, you know, people getting famous for doing subpar uh, representations of songs and so forth. This is actually interesting. Hey, I thought all. that was a great question. Did you? I really did. Yeah. I'm not just saying that cause I'm your co-host and like you have a gun to my head, but like, it's really, um, I thought that was a great question because it's definitely something that I've wondered a lot. Like people get mediocre at something and immediately ask for recognition. That's a fantastic question. Well, it was weird because I mean, it's like, I, I think we're, we're so immersed in this internet culture where like we're inundated with, you know, all this clickbait type, you know, fodder. And it just turns into this thing. Like I said, like I had just seen on my way to, to Detroit, or to Royal Oak, technically, this video of someone being like, oh, look at this amazing violinist play this new Post Malone song. And then I, like, watch, and I'm like, what the fuck? This doesn't seem amazing, quote-unquote. Um, and then I'm reading the comments, and then it's, like, it's so weird because it's, like, you know, the comments are, like, for anyone who had the opinion like I did where I'm like, this doesn't seem amazing. Like, it's, 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 it's okay for what it is. But amazing? Eh, I, I've seen amazing things. This is not amazing. Um, but then everyone's so quick to be like, "Well, you, well, I would love to see your amazing thing that you do." And it's like, it's I'm not comparing. I'm just literally saying, like, I'm sure there's a young woman who can play a violin amazingly well, playing classical music, which is technically proficient and intricate and requires so much skill and dedication and practice and all of that. Playing a Post Malone song where you're just basically miming the the melody of the song on a four or five notes on a violin, that's not amazing. That's that's slightly interesting at best. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I see it all the time. Um, it, it all started with, you know, kids on YouTube doing vocal covers and then guitar covers. and 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 that's still kind of entertaining to watch and everything, but... It definitely morphed into reinterpretations, and I everybody and it, it literally always says unbelievable or amazing rendition of such and such song, and it's like no, it's I mean it's a rendition that part's correct, but is it amazing? Is there any reason to listen to it beyond listening to the original song? Usually not. I guess I don't know. I guess that's the thing is like I I try not to to be such a shithead about it and be like, Oh, well, like I'm, you know, I'm in my mid thirties and I've seen a bunch of shit or whatever, but it's like, you know, if someone were to play some of this, like, 
it's it's not discrediting the periphery guys at all when I say this, but like let's say like there was a video where like a nine year old playing guitar or drums to like periphery shit. And it, I would be like, yeah, that's amazing because you know what? Periphery is kind of the benchmark for a certain level of musicianship. And I definitely think if there was a nine-year-old playing that, I would be like, holy fuck, that is amazing because that requires a lot of dedication, practice, skill, and, and a lot more than just, you know, if you were playing uh, Lit, My Own Worst Enemy, and being like, oh, look at this amazing cover of this. It's like, okay, cool. It's six chords. Anyone can play this. Yeah, I mean, like, I think certain bands that are uh, more technically sound, like, yeah, it's, it is amazing if a kid can play, you know, Meshuggah with his socks. <laughs> or, or, you know what I mean? Like, or, or like a Pringles cans or, or something like that. Like, that, that kind of stuff is cool. Um, I just think that, yeah, and I don't want to, like, necessarily trash it either because those YouTubers are still just content creators just like we are, you know. Um, trying to put something entertaining out, but um, but I, I did think that it was a relevant question and and definitely something that was worth uh, exploring, just because like yeah I, like I see it all the time that that people are being praised for mediocrity, which really takes away from the masterful nature of like progressive music or technical music. Like, it's one of those, like, if you think anything's good, then you don't even think that the good stuff's good. Not really. Yeah, I definitely would agree with all that. I don't I don't know. It's funny because, like, sometimes I get in these weird tangents and, you know, I'll be kind of in the moment of trying to be more off the cuff. And I'll say something and then I'll look back and be like, uh, was that really worth talking about? I don't know. So I guess time will tell how periphery fans, how fans of this podcast feel about uh, <laughs> those questions I asked at the end. Um but I wanted to utilize all the time I had as opposed to being like, well, I had 10 more minutes and I just gave up. Um, but with that being said, um, we're going to kind of slowly start wrapping this episode up. So if you would like to follow Periphery, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Periphery Band. And if you would like to keep up with Spencer, you can find him on Instagram at the Spencer Sotelo and Twitter at Spencer Sotelo. And if you would like to keep up with Metal Nexus, you can find them at MetalNexus.net, Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, and Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus. And Dan will tell you where he can be found online. I can be found on Twitter at DiscussMetalDan uh, and also on Facebook under Daniel Terry. And you can find out all about my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at DiscussMetal.com. And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, you can find us uh, simply enough at Brew Speak Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Find us on YouTube at Brutally Speaking Podcast. You can see the visual representation of this podcast there. You can look at Spencer uh, as he's talking to me. I'm off camera. Uh, there are a couple coming up where I am on camera, and I realized how uh, unflattering my body looks uh, at certain angles. Uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, Dude, you gotta, you up. gotta, you gotta get over that. You gotta get over that stuff, man. Well, I'm sorry when you're sitting next to uh, Mixie from Stitched Up Heart and, you know, she's sitting sideways and, you know, all this kind of stuff and uh, you just look like, you know, a fat tub of Cro Betty Crocker shit. Uh, next hey, you don't, to have to, you don't have to tell me, man. I get it. <laughs> uh, so it is one of those things where uh, I, maybe I have to find my good side. Uh, <laughs> but all that aside, if you would like to see this interview, it does exist over on uh, YouTube. Uh, the intro and outros will not be there, but there will be a link to listen to the whole episode. So if you're listening to this whole episode after clicking the YouTube link, thank you for checking this out a second time. Uh, click the subscribe uh, button wherever you're finding this podcast uh, rate review subscribe all that kind of stuff as well and uh, for the brutally speaking podcast
I am John. And I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next time.